I see death care workers bring such a vibrant passion to their work of caring for others. Yes. For others, but not for themselves. And I know, I know the marketplace is ready to sustain not only the death care workers that we have now, but all of the others that we're recruiting in. Mm -hmm. The problem though, is that if we as a community don't see that, we can't possibly expect the movement to grow. We can't expect to continue the next generation of this work. Welcome dear listeners to the Long Haul Many Doors podcast with me, your host, Narinder Bazin. Through these doors, we will find the gifts offered to us when we live in death awareness with stories from my own personal journey as a death midwife, my experiences gained through training other death workers, and stories from guests who understand the values given by living in death awareness. We will all together rewrite the culture stories around dying in America. Welcome back to Long Haul Mini Doors. Through this door and this podcast, I had the amazing opportunity of talking to Dr. Sarah Parker Ward. She is a mom of three and a creative services professional who has training in death care, mindfulness, and psychedelic peer assistance. Sarah reached out to me after she saw some posts that I had made on Instagram about rewriting the value of women's work. She was so moved by those posts and she said, hey, Narendra, we got to talk. In addition to the the work that she does, the, the, the mindfulness work and the psychedelic peer assistance, she also teaches at RPI's Alley's RPI's Lally School of Management in upstate New York. And she is the co-founder of a digital marketplace called Clio, designed to improve death literacy and connect non-clinical end-of-life care practitioners with families in need. That'll be launching to the public in 2024. This conversation I had with Dr. Sarah Parker Ward is so serendipitous, uh, important, um, enlivening, inspiring, and does have that wink of magic in it. So please sit back, relax, and uh, without further ado, here's Dr. Sarah Parker Ward. Okay, Sarah. So what I was just saying to you, and now we've got we've press record, what I was just saying to you was I'm so excited to talk to you about the importance of rewriting the value of quote unquote women's work, particularly for the death workers, because we need to restore some balance into the holistic death care movement and and get the death workers into a sustainable place so that they can actually be doing the work that they want to be doing, which is we were talking about, which the heart of the work is serving people who are dying and their families. And so now press record. Here we go. Okay. We're here. We're here. Yes. Okay. So I'm I'm just going to keep riffing for a second and then I want you to jump in. Yeah. I was posting stuff on Instagram about the importance of death worker, you know, women death workers charging for their work. And I, and I got really lit up really, really fast. And I got several responses from those posts, but the one response that I got from you and I actually printed it out. Can I read it? You can. Okay. Okay. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Um, You say, this is Dr. Sarah Parker Ward saying to me, good morning. I've been following along intently to your recent posts because I'm also frustrated by the friction these much needed services are running into. I ran qualitative interviews last year and was dismayed by the number of doulas and specialists who have left and are leaving the field because it was financially unsustainable. 
Um, and then you say, I've spent the last 10 months with a university co-founder building a dynamic directory for the public and would love to share more if I'd be interested in opening open, I'd be interested and, um, and open to connecting with you about that. And when I got that message from you, like I was so freaking lit up that I reached out to you and was like, can we just get on the horn and talk about it? And, and we did. And we did. <laughs> and you jumped on the phone with me. And like, we were just like, bing, 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 just talking about this stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute. We've like, other people need to hear what we're saying. And so that's where we are now. So hi, Dr. Sarah Parker Ward. <laughs> hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, yes, when I was reading the content of what you were sharing about impact math, about the lack of sustainability, you know, that has been where I have been living the last 10 months, year of my life is I trained as a death doula, um, but my background is in communications and digital media. That's um, what I studied at, at Boston University um, from a thanatological perspective. And I love the work of the death caring community, but I know, and I knew in my journey that my skill set was not one-on-one -on -one services. It was to wrap my arms around as many of these people who are providing these services, these much needed services, increasingly needed services, and to help lift them up, you know, to bring more people into this realm, because this work is so important. I would argue that it's not been as important as it is now since the medieval period. You know, we have roughly 7,700 people in just our country dying every day. We have 10,000 baby boomers turning 65 every day. And yet our culture has a prolific denial of death. And so we are careening towards a real crisis, mm -hmm. towards a real crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I love, I love the people who are serving in this capacity and I want to support them and I want to empower them, you know, and I want to talk about this self-imposed value barrier to economic survivalhood, you know, because that was one thing that from those qualitative interviews, and it was a relatively small sample. I think it was, you know, somewhere around 22, 23 interviews that were conducted and they ran anywhere from 15 minutes to almost an hour long, is that there is a real struggle with the financial component of this work. Mm -hmm. And I understand that because it is deep work. It is emotional labor. It is spiritual labor. And for everyone that I talk to, it is a calling. You know, it is not just they're showing up ad hoc temp work. You know, it is a very deep calling that they are committed to. So I understand, you know, where that struggle can come from. Um, but I also think it's rooted in patriarchal systems. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's rooted in a long history. And we talked about this before, a long history of women's work not being valued by our culture. It, right, exactly. So much so to the extent that we women ourselves are holding it back. Mm -hmm, exactly. So deep, deep, deep in our DNA and our bones that we don't even realize we're doing that, right? That we don't even realize we're doing that. Is it okay if I back us up just as, just a little bit? Yes. Yeah. And I want to ask you, I'm loving the light coming in there. I, I wanted to, so I want to get detailed. So basically what you're telling me about your position in this world, before we get into your position in the movement, but your position in this world is you have a, you have your PhD in what? So I looked at the way we think about death Mm -hmm. and the policy implications. Mm -hmm. So from a theoretical perspective, I was focused in terror management, um, which has 40 years of scholarship behind it to say that when we drop in these morsels of what we call mortality salience, or the idea that people are going to die, they tend to have this ideological bolstering effect. So they dig deeper into their existing beliefs and their culture so that they can feel immortal. 
So it's this, this buffering, right, to the realities and the, the terror of the idea of death. And what that body of scholarship has shown us is that Americans, more so than any other culture, really dig into this idea of this ideological bolstering. We really have this very prominent fear of death. And so I was intrigued as, as sort of a policy wonk. Well, what does that mean if we're trying to move policies forward, whether it's self-determination policies, whether it's natural organic reduction and human composting, if we're dropping this idea in to, to legislators, you know, laps that they're going to die, what does that then mean from a policy perspective if they're just going to dig deeper into their existing beliefs? So that was really what I my scholarship was originally on. But I I focused um, in a variety of nexus between health communication um, and outcomes. So, but as I moved through my PhD, it would really just went deeper and deeper into thanatological studies. Um, and as I moved out of that, I realized, okay, I have the, these skill sets. I love this movement. I am so fired up about the idea of taking back our dead. You know, it does not need to be medicalized. It does not need to be institutionalized. And how can we move that forward? So mm -hmm. it's a little bit more about my background and where I, how I sort of fit into this movement. Wow. I didn't even <laughs> know it was such a thing. <laughs> and I'm so glad to learn that someone's doing that, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. And we're, you know what, we're going to come back to this whole idea of policy it, as a, as a component of value and work within death caring because it is part of the reason that I want death, death workers to charge more wow. because I want them to be able to get involved in advocacy and pay themselves for it. Yes, exactly. Okay, exactly. So that is okay. So that's what your 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 studies, that's your work, and then your and then your death work is starting to look like this. And now tell me a little bit about this research project. Yeah. So about 10 months ago, um, I started to realize as I was involved in all of these different Facebook groups, Instagram groups for death carers, that there was no mechanism to connect all of the different non-clinical end-of-life care providers that exist in the world. So that may be, you know, touch therapy, massage uh, therapy, it could be music therapy, Reiki, um, death doulas or death midwives. Um, but all of these different service providers who can have a real impact on one's end of life journey and the way that they were being connected with families was often, you know, one person who was in the know was dropping something into a Facebook group. Hey, does anyone know a death worker who's skilled in VSED who also lives within 10 miles of Portsmouth, Rhode Island? I know. You know or Providence, Rhode Island, you know, and I just thought... There's such an inefficiency here that I feel like we could address. And on top of that, if we're able to create more efficiencies, hopefully we're able to bring more people into the movement on both sides of the equation. Hopefully we're able to get more families who are going through palliative care, end of life care, terminal illness diagnoses to say, wait, I have choices here. I have agency in terms of who I turn to for care. And on the flip side, we can suddenly, doulas can have a pipeline of clients. You know, they can charge those clients more and they can do it in a way that's honorable to their values. Maybe they mm -hmm. use sliding scale. Maybe they're part of a, a collective. Maybe they're having supplementary income from a legacy law firm, which is a great movement that we're starting to see that makes me so excited. Um, and so to me, it was just, okay, how do we infuse technology into this very clear problem in the marketplace and put these two pieces together? You know, how do we better connect our end of life care providers who are non-clinical with the families who so desperately need their services? Yes. And yeah. so that is how Cleo was born. Cleo is the Greek muse of legacy. She was the one responsible for either recording you or not, <laughs> and with fighting with father time. 
Um, and so over the last seven months, I have actually worked with a student co-founder to build out the backend technologies. We are about to go into beta and ask you know, members of the death caring community to check us out, to try and break it, to build it that, you know, so that we can build it better before we launch to the public in 2024. Oh my gosh, Sarah. We were, I was just talking to some other death workers who are trainers recently saying, we need an app. We need a directory. We need something because every week there's someone saying, we need a death doula in, you know, Denver. We need a death doula in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Like we need, and it's always urgent. Yes. And then you're like, why am I putting this out in an Instagram story? Like that's not going to work. And then also like, where, where are your websites? Like we need, we need to know your landing page. We need your phone number. We need your location. You want to be doing this work. The work is there. The work is more there than I think anybody realizes. I think the general public doesn't realize so much that they need us until they learn about us. And then exactly. they're like, oh yeah, I wish I would have had you from my mother. Like I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is, I think sometimes death workers are like, well, nobody's calling me. And it's like, I'm like, because I, you said, you said it perfectly. It, there's, it's insufficient. Like the, the, how did you phrase that earlier? Do you remember saying something about like the networking or just the inefficiencies of connecting both sides of that marketplace? Yeah. You know, it's just right now, it's very, it's very old school, you know, and, and there was a time when that worked because that's how people operated. But right now, I mean, even if you know what a death doula is, which kudos to you, if you're just a member of the you know general public and know what a death doula is, you then go to Google, you know, do death doula near me. Well, guess mm-hmm. what's coming up when you type death doula near me? Hospitals. Mm -hmm. hospices it's not Mm -hmm. death doulas Mm -hmm. because a lot of death doulas who are called into this work don't have an entrepreneurial background they don't have a marketing background and even those of us those of us who have worked in this space I mean it's a whole new frontier right now it's so it's the wild west Mm -hmm. with things like generative AI Mm -hmm. um so you you can't really expect a death worker to have the skill sets to show up as the search one you know page one search one results for Google. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't, and I don't want them to have to devote hours and hours of their time Mm -hmm. that could be spent in direct client services or in education around end of life care or in advocacy work. I would, I would much rather that they're doing that, which is in my, my opinion, more valuable to the societal good and more valuable to them in their mission and their purpose, mm-hmm. you know, than tinkering with SEO. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wow. 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 So the, so the directory will also be able to break the different death care workers down into like some of them really focus on grief care. Some of them really focus on pre-planning and some of them do home funeral guidance and some of them don't. So Clio, which I love the name. Thank you. Thank you. Speak of my language. I love the <laughs> name. You said, you said Clio was the Greek uh, muse of, of legacy. Of legacy. Oh, I love that. I love Yes. That. And there's actually, so there's a deeper layer. So I'm an art nerd. Oh, and there's good. a deeper layer in that Artemisia Lombardi actually captured one of the most prolific or well-known pieces of Clio. And so there's a whole other layer of feminism and breaking the mold um, to the name for me personally as well. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, if you were in nine keys, you would know we actually work with the, we work with the deities. We work with the goddess energy. We, we, we like align with one so that we can, we do. So that's like, you literally are doing like, well, that's actually kind of how I teach death work is you align Mm. one of those energies and they, they push your work forward. So that's a conversation for a different time for you and I, but yes. that. so the directory will 
Cleo will, I love calling her that, like Cleo, Cleo will break down the directory so that it's like so user-friendly. Exactly. And that has been like a in the moment part for us. Yes. 100%. Because, you know, again, I am a big fan of agency, autonomy, self-determination. And so mm -hmm. I don't want to send someone who's in the throes of, you know, an emergent end of life situation mm -hmm. um, for a loved one. I don't want to send them through the throes of having to sift through, well, is this the person, is this the right, you know, service leader for me? You know, if I'm going, if I'm using medical aid and dying, I don't want to go, you know, I don't want to send seven emails to different doulas who don't operate in that space. Yeah. So we're looking at not only geography, but um, combining it with, you know, do, does this individual offer hybrid or virtual exclusive solutions? Um, and then all of these subcategories to, the, to your point is you know, are they familiar with VSED? Are they familiar with medical aid and dying? Um, do they focus in um, legacy work, in creative legacy work? Do they focus in pediatric care, um, green burial? There's so many different aspects of the work that are thankfully evolving, you know, continuously. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really want to make it very easy for people to say, this is the work, you know, for, on the the practitioner side, this is the work that I'm excited about and enthusiastic about. And on the client side, for them to very quickly be able to parse through, this person is the right person for me based on their skill sets, their enthusiasm, and their availability. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to be, we don't want to be connecting them with a death worker who's already booked right now and can't, you know, can't meet the needs. Um, so wow. that's another layer as well. Okay. Awesome. Beautiful. All right. Flip, clapper, like movie clapperboard <laughs> and scene. Okay. Next scene. So <laughs> as you're doing your research mm -hmm. for Cleo, you're discovering that death workers, doulas, midwives, companions, but you know, that they're getting into this and then what dropping out? Like what were you finding? Yeah, it was this this combination of, you know, I remember distinctly one, you know, former death doula who had come from a nursing background said to me, unfortunately, I've got bills that I need to pay too. And I said, well, that's not unfortunate. You know, that's life. Um, and it just broke my heart because she had, you know, she had these wonderful client stories that she was able to share with me. She was so passionate about the movement. You know, she was very a, a very skilled practitioner and couldn't make it work. You know, couldn't make, financially, couldn't make it work. Mm -hmm. um, there was a grief specialist, very similar case. She had multiple years of great clientele stories, you know, repeat business, um, wonderful testimonials same thing. She had, she was in the process of leaving the field because it wasn't financially viable. She said, I just, it's so much work to get a new client through the door and for them to be ready to commit to six months worth of grief work at this rate, you know? Mm -hmm. And she said, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm tired of that grind. Mm -hmm. And I empathized so, so deeply, but it really just broke my heart as a human, as someone who sees so much value in this work and in the contributions of these individuals. And both of these individuals were women. Um, I just, I struggled with that, you know, and I struggled with that from multiple layers. One was, well, are you valuing your own services enough? The other was, are there creative ways that we could think about your revenue streams so that you can pay your bills? And I don't, you know, to me, that's a very low threshold. Mm -hmm. As you shared in your other po podcast, no one's going in this into this work to drive a Maserati. You know, mm -hmm. I, I loved when you said that because it's so true. So, but still to me, just paying your bills, just surviving is not what we're aiming for. Nope. You know, I want you to be, healthy. I want you to be happy. And I want you as part of that happiness of as part of your values to be able to go out and support your community through direct financial contributions 
as you see fit. Yes. You know, whether that means helping a neighbor, you know, pay their bills, whether it means paying yourself for volunteer work that you're doing or advocacy work at the policy level, all of those things. You know, I I just, I see death care workers bring such a vibrant passion to their work of caring for others. Yes. For others but not for themselves. And I know, I know the marketplace is ready to sustain not only the death care workers that we have now, but all of the others that we're recruiting in. Mm -hmm. The problem though, is that if we as a community don't see that, we can't possibly expect the movement to grow. We can't expect to continue the next generation of this work. Mm -hmm. Because when they see starving artists, that's not super attractive. Yes. That's, oh my gosh. Mic drop. Mm. Yes. 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 The people wanting to get into this work and, and they're seeing, well, gosh, everyone's giving it away for free. I can't afford to do that. Therefore, I can't answer my calling and I'm like, and then therefore your community is still at this time, we're fixing it, but your community at this time is still stuck with old paradigm death care that's not working. And also there is a little bit of an urgency to this because of the the care demand that's coming oh. with the, 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 the next generation. And so there is a sense of urgency there. And I don't think that um, I, I, I have found, so I'm kind of like stuttering here because I'm trying to figure out which, which way I'm, which direction I'm going to go. Let me back up for a second. When I, when I got into death work, when I got it, my death midwifery formed out of a large community of people that I was teaching as a Kundalini yoga teacher and a spiritual teacher, spiritual mentor. This is the story I've told it a million times, but so my, I, there, it wasn't like I was, you know, working at a job and I didn't like it. And I wanted to become a death midwife. Like that's not what happened. It, it was like my community brought that out of me. Right. And I was so busy Unlike a lot of other death workers, I was thrown into job after job after job. And I was also thrown into every ungraceful death and dying situation that we can possibly think of. I rarely got to do a, a pretty situation, right? It was, I was always like crisis management with my mm. death. And the reason is, was because I was supposed to see what is needed and how badly this work is needed, especially in a metropolis where I live, right? Like how yes. bad this work is needed. I was supposed to see all of that. I was not an entrepreneur. I was not a business person. I was a nanny with an art degree. I, <laughs> I was a, a moody emo kid. Then I became a yogi. And then I wanted to like, chant and meditate and be witchy and woo woo all the time. Like I was not an entrepreneur, but for years, years, I was giving all of this stuff away for free and serving for free. And then the, and the yoga stopped and that went away. And then I do, I do one-on-one -on -one counseling and, and, you know, I'm doing the death work and I was doing all of this stuff, Sarah. And, and then I went through a training to dot my I's and cross my T's, like make sure I knew all of the stuff I needed to know in this death work. And, um, but I had to figure out business. And fortunately I have a good friend who's a business coach and, mm. and I'm saying to her, help me get organized, right? Help yes. me get organized. What do I need? She's like, you need a scheduler. Okay. How do you, how do you get a scheduler? I don't know how to do that. Right. Yeah. So it's like, take me to like kindergarten level business here. So I fortunately had a friend who helped me get things or that's what it was. Get organized, get organized, mm -hmm. have a website, have a scheduler. 
people need to pay you for these things. They need to pay you for your time. I was going out to do free coffees, you know, like grief counseling would over a coffee for free, or people would say, can I take you to lunch? And I would leave that, I would leave that lunch having given them so much of my energy and doing so much emotional and spiritual labor on my end, I would leave those situations like tired, exhausted and losing my thrill for this work. And this went on for years. I'm embarrassed yeah. to say like it, it quit pretty recently. I mean, so this, there've been times recently where you know it's like oh I know I can do the work I just just surrender just do it right you know you can help these people but I've got one family in Atlanta that I'm working with and three that I'm working with remotely and death doesn't care about the clock so this is 24 hours a day seven days a week I'm not making any money I'm about to throw my phone in the lake I'm getting resentful and I'm thinking there's no way I can keep doing it like this I have to stop and also I'm a trainer I'm, I'm lifting up other, other apprentices. Oh shit. I'm going to have to go back in and rewrite this thing because there's no way to do this by yourself and do all of it for free. There's it's physically impossible. And I'm freaking asset to my community. I have to be taken care of. I have to eat well, have a safe car and shoes on my feet and a roof over my head. I've got to get paid for this work and paid well. Right. Yes. Also, I've got to figure it out for the other death workers coming up behind me that I'm bringing up mm-hmm. and I've got to stop following along with this patriarchal expectation and storyline that this has to be done for free. Yes. And I had to go deep inside of myself. I've said in every podcast, I'm going to keep saying it. I had to go inside of myself and be like, girl, what's the problem? It's misogyny. Mm-hmm. Deep inside of me that says a woman's work isn't worth anything. You yes. know what I mean? And I'm oh, like, wait I a do. minute. That can actually be rewritten. And I want to rewrite that for the girl identified people who are seven years old right now I want them to grow up not knowing this I want to change it and also I want the holistic death care movement to be healthy and strong because we've got something come we've got this big wave coming Right. And I mm-hmm. need to be healthy and strong. So I, I am like, but it doesn't matter how much business coaching they have, Sarah. It doesn't matter if I tell them, you know, have this offer, this offer, and this offer, and I can show you how to run the numbers. The numbers don't matter if they have not broken their contract with this agreement that they made somewhere. Mm-hmm. that women's work is to be given freely. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I think I'm so glad that you shared and thank you for sharing that arc in your journey. Because for anyone listening, you know, that internalized patriarchy, especially around finances, is something that is so prevalent. So if somebody is listening and thinking and they're feeling like a little ick or, or a little, you know, oh, oh, you know, this discovery of maybe that's me, they're not alone. They're so, oh so my far from alone. <laughs> no, they're not alone at all. So far. Yeah. So first, it's okay. It's okay to, to see that, to discover it to feel icky about it, but the important takeaway is that you have the power within yourself to change and not to change at some future date that's amorphous and may never come, but to change now. To say, my feet are planted firmly on the ground and I'm changing right now. You have that power. Mm -hmm. 
We mm -hmm. all have that power. Mm -hmm. And that change may just be baby steps. It may just be the way that we talk to ourselves for a couple days, for a couple weeks, for a couple months. That's okay. Mm -hmm. But recognizing it and saying, you know what? I do value myself more than free is such a big deal. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I do value myself more than free. <gasps> Sarah, I just got to be like party pooper negative Nancy for a second. Like that's so sad that it that it's that bad. That it's that bad. That we see like that the good thing to do, the be the good girl, the good thing to do is to work for free. And the, the values are flipped. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And it's, it's true. Yeah. Is it, it's, oh my gosh, that makes me like, that makes me, there's a, there's a grief work there. There's an invitation for grief work there around, oh my gosh, me as a woman, how many years did I not realize that I was, I thought my value in my work was free. Right. And how did I get there? You know, I, what was it only 1974? What did you say to me on the phone the other day? Was that you that you said in 1974, the women's, uh, there was a law passed that like women could have bank accounts and credit cards. Maybe it wasn't you. It wasn't me, but that is absolutely true because I just cited that statistic to my husband recently. You did? We, yes, we have only had the ability to have credit cards for about 45 years. I, yes. I was born in 76. So this was in 74. So two years before I was born, a woman could get a mortgage on her own for the first time without a man co-signing. Two years before I was born, a woman in the United States could now open her own checking account. It's it's mind boggling. <laughs> but also it helps explain why these perspectives are so internalized and why they are so hard to break free from. Yes. But once you do, once you spread your wings, once you say, I'm not scared to look those bills in the eye and really understand what my budget needs to be, mm -hmm. there is so much liberation there. And that liberation, I know, as we talked about the other day, Narendra, I know that death care workers are using that liberation to lift up other people. Yes. That's yes. what they're doing with it. And yes. so that's where it's, for me, it is so, so, so exciting because mm -hmm. if we can get more people there, if we can get more, you know, women identifying death care workers, non-binary death care workers, queer death workers to, you know, to draw the line in the sand and say, no, this is what I am worth. This is the, the value that I am giving in these spiritual gifts. I mean, when I think of one of the most powerful death experiences that I had as a child was being with my grandfather during his last 36 hours in his home, watching those goodbyes, watching my family, my grandmother be with his body in that time afterward. That is priceless to me. If you said, what is that, what was that experience worth to you now in adult dollars? <laughs> I mean, it was priceless. It was priceless. And that is, especially now, after having seen what death is in this country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know 80% of people want to die at home. Mm -hmm. 31% of people are dying at home. Mm -hmm. That alone is a huge gap. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at hospitalization rates in the last six months of life, the last 12 months of life, that is typically not where people want to be. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know? And so I just think about the value that these amazing people are bringing, not just to individual families, but to society because the ripple effects are real. I mean, if we're talking about advocacy and activism, I feel like this work is the highest form of activism because it will literally change the society, the cultural landscapes. I mean, it will, this touches everything. I mean, it, it helps to eliminate, not eliminate, it helps to mitigate the fear issues. Like it helps so, so much. Oh my gosh. You just said so many beautiful things. Like it, it is, it is priceless. How do you put a price on it? Well, we got to figure something out. You can't keep doing it for free. So you gotta, you gotta put a price tag on it somewhere, right? Because you're not going to make it as a death worker to keep doing it for free. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, when death workers say do it for free, I'm like, well, you must not be doing it because it's exhausting and you know, you need, yeah. Or, or you're privileged somewhere else. Right. But we yes. want to make it, we want to make it this work. Uh, we want to make the work accessible for the workers, right. We want to make right. it so that they can do it. Yes. There's, um, you reminded me of this family that I served one time and it was three daughters and they called me and they said, our mother uh, is dying. She had a lung disease. I forget what it was. She was on oxygen, but they, they said, our mother is dying and she is on hospice, but for some reason, no judgment here, but for some reason, the hospice group wouldn't explain to her how the body dies. I don't know why, but anyway, they said, and, and no one will explain to her how the body dies and we don't know. And she's having horrible anxiety. So would you be willing to come talk to her? And I said, sure. So I went to her house. I sat with her at her kitchen table, dining room table, sat across from her. The daughters left. I explained to her in very simple, straightforward terms, what was going to happen to her body. <laughs> and she slapped the table and she said, well, you're worth every penny. <laughs> <laughs> She said, well, you're this old oh Southern lady. She said, she goes, my, you know, like, I'll oh, be darn. She slapped the table and she said, you're worth every penny. And I did, I never had to, I didn't have to see her again. Cause she, you know, it, it was great. And I, and I helped them behind the scenes. Anyway, my point being put a price tag on that. You're helping an elder, like let go, feel safe. You're, you're, you're creating this, this beautiful, peaceful, peaceful space. That is so freaking valuable. And Zara, my clients have wanted to pay me. Mm. Yes. All of my clients, if they, if I ask them, they're happy. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. How do I pay you Narendra? Mm -hmm. Right. How much is this? How do I pay you Narendra? Um, it's the, when I'm doing stuff for free, it's usually like a friend of a friend and they call and the, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. if they found me formally through my website, right. And we go through the whole thing, the consultation and the, and the appointments and everything they want to pay me. Here's another thing while I'm talking about my work and pay back in the day when I wasn't charging enough, I was making them nervous. So I'm always, I'm always saying like, we've got to also think about what vibration we're creating for that family when we're, when we're giving it away, that doesn't feel right. We pay yes. for a haircut, $70 for a haircut, but then you're going to charge me 25 for death care. Right. That doesn't yes. make any sense. Right. Yes. Yes. So I'm, I'm like, and it's making them nervous. And then also it's bringing in that codependency issue a lot. I see with women workers in spiritual care spaces and the death worker space that I had to heal within myself. I'm not tooting the horn being like, I didn't do that. I did that too, where we have codependency with our clients. We're asking them to tell us what the value of our work is. That's putting emotional labor on someone in a very tender part of their life. We need to yes. fix that take that out. So I, I think it's like, it's not just about death workers need to learn business, right? It's 
death workers really seriously need to look at what narratives around the value of women's work they're holding up. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, there is, there's so much to unpack there. I feel like we could talk about it for another six hours. (laughs) And I think I really, I want us to get to this place where we're giving people who are listening tools yes, you know, and different mechanisms for, okay, how do I, I, I've acknowledged that free is problematic for all of these different reasons. Mm-hmm. I am ready to change. I'm feeling empowered. Where do I go from here? You know, what do I do now? Because I think that's a that can be a big cognitive and emotional leap for people, for women to make between volunteer to, no, no, I'm an expert in this and I am ready to claim that space and to hold space for myself and charge what I feel I'm worth plus another 25%. Yeah. Because that's where we need to start. Yes. Whatever, whatever you think you're worth, plus at minimum, another 25%. Yes, ma'am. Yes. You know, so I think really, I mean, there are a lot of different mechanisms mm-hmm. that people can explore. One that I'm very excited about is this very, very new trend that we're seeing in little pockets of death care workers and legacy workers being employed or put on retainer with, for instance, a law firm, a legacy law firm to help supplement their income. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something I I heard of just two instances in the last two weeks, and I'm so excited about it. And I actually reached out to a friend, an executive in finance, financial planning today to see if it's happening in, in that sphere as well. Because death care workers aren't the only ones acknowledging this wave that we're already in the midst of with baby boomers in terms of aging and what that means for us as a society. And so certainly I think we're seeing law firms that work in this space that are writing wills and trusts and creating philanthropic plans for individuals to say, hmm, makes a lot of sense for us to also offer this, these clients, these services in the spiritual realm, in the planning realm, to really look at this from a more holistic perspective, to help them navigate the landscape of what end-of-life care looks like and can look like, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's something I'm super, super excited about and just see so much promise in. So I think that's one avenue, you know, what other complementary services exist in the community that you're serving? And maybe you're not going to work for them full-time. I would actually almost caution against that. But is there a part-time position for you in that firm? Is there a retainer that you could get on a monthly basis so that if their clients want to have access to you, they can? Mm -hmm. So that's one mechanism I'm super excited about. Oh my! I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm loving that because I'm thinking about everybody and stay in your lane. The attorney is not there to give spiritual care to his clients who are letting go of their mother's estate, right? I'm assuming that's kind of what you're talking about, right? Yes, 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 exactly. Oh, it's genius. It's genius. So those attorneys like can, can lean over and say to the death worker, here's this family. I see they're, they're stuck. They need some help letting go. They've got some grief letting go. It's, it's so smart. I thought I, back in the day, I thought, why doesn't every funeral director, every funeral home have a staff of midwives and doulas? I don't understand, Mm -hmm. you know, let you stick to the business. And I know they love, they've got their heart centered stuff, but they're, they're cranking out 
family after family after family. Why don't these, why don't funeral homes have midwives and doulas on staff or, or on retainer? Like you said, it's genius. And this gives me so much hope because I think that this is, this, it's going to happen. Yes, I do too. I think it's going yeah. to, I think in the next five years, we're going to see it explode. Yes. I yes. really do. Um, when I, the, the one woman who I had seen, I think it was also through Instagram who had mentioned that she had been hired for this new position. I instantly reached out to her and said, please tell me there's going to be a press release on this because I want to share it everywhere. Mm. You know, I really, I do think we're going to see more firms, more than just financial planners and legacy law firms. I really think it's going to to broaden in scope in terms of the number of different service providers that are looking to augment their services by addressing holistic care, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. by looking at people, not as just not looking at just a segment of who they are, but looking at them as a whole person. Mm-hmm you know, on these matters. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. Yeah. That's where we're going. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking too about the, um, you know, on back to women's work, quote unquote, women's work, you know, I think about there have been, there have been institutions who have been asking death doulas to come volunteer and work for free. And, you know, I'm like, okay, we need to, we need to rewrite that. We can't, Mm -hmm. can't keep doing that. You paid for your education. You paid for all of those books. You've paid for your, like your time, even if you didn't, your time is so valuable. You're spending time away from your family to go be with this person who's dying. Like that's so valuable. You need to be getting paid for that. And so I think that, you know, as we do our part and rewriting the value of our work, like internally, and we start to hold that stance. And like you said earlier, like, it's okay. It's okay to say, oh, shoot, I've been doing it like this. And no wonder I'm exhausted. And I lost my thrill for the job. Right. Yeah. Um, And, and it's one step forward. It's like a muscle, like you've got to exercise the muscle. And as the death workers on their end, start to resist like I'm not doing it for free I can't do it for free you know and it's this it's this much and then as you said plus 25 percent um that these institutions the legacy law firm like you said the financial planners the funeral homes I think they'll pick up on it and go actually it's good for business it's good for their business Absolutely. It absolutely is. Yes. It makes, I mean, it's going to make so much of their work that they don't want to do, you know, or that there's friction for Mm -hmm. easier. Mm -hmm. But I also think that those institutions are looking, they're looking at doulas who take themselves seriously enough to already be charging. Yes. When they're thinking about that conversation internally. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, to start to, to wrap it up here, Sarah, I mean, I think I I'm, it's just the conversations, right? Like, even if we don't have the solutions, the, the fact that we're just having the conversation is a great thing. And, um, and we'll, we are going to get to the solutions and all creative minds on board and, I'm blown away by what your calling has, like, I just, I'm blown away that like this work, you know, came up through you and it's like, your gifts are perfect. Like, so what we need and um, yeah, I can't do that. Right. So I'm celebrating. I'm like, I'm celebrating your death work. And I'm like that with every death worker. Like they, if they can just trust and keep, you know, stay with their calling and their unique gifts and skills. Um, But although we are doing it like one to one right now, we have to remember we are part of this collective rewriting. Like this is culture rewriting this new culture story around death care 
And we've got to, we need to find the, we need to collectively find the value, ad admit this is really valuable and, um, and, and, and celebrate each other. Yes. Getting into prosperous places. Like I would love to have more women dump workers say to me, like, it's so amazing that you created a course that you're selling and it's bringing you like, it's, it got you some shoes Narendra. Like I would, yes. love, I would love for more women to be like, good job, Narendra. Yeah. You, know? you charge your clients this much an hour. Good job, Narendra. Like I would love for that because I give some of my money away. I give my money away, right? Yes. I love I love helping other people with my money. It feels amazing. Yes. And, and so I'm like, I want other death workers to, you know, like I want us to celebrate each other like this. So thank you for that. Thank you for this time. Thank you for, I mean, is there anything else that you were thinking of when we were you know, talking about coming to do this podcast, is there anything in particular that you were like, I feel like this is something I would love to say to death work, a death worker who's listening to this. Is there anything that you, that you haven't said that you want to say, or if you've said it already, do you want to, do you want to bring it home? Like, is there yeah. something you want to say? Yeah. You know, I mean, first of all, thank you. Like, Thank you from the bottom of my heart for committing to this work because it is such deep work. And I genuinely believe it is, it is impacting society positively in ways that we could never measure, but that we can feel. And so thank you for just being part of the movement and the only other thing that I want, I really want to say to people is because we've harped so much on this idea of not free, not free, not free. It's not that it can never be free. True. It's not that it can never be free. True. It's that the policy shouldn't be free. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm a big fan of sliding scale. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm a big fan of you charging so that when you encounter that family that genuinely does not have those resources, they have not had access and privilege to be able to pay you, you can still serve them. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's not never free. Mm -hmm. It's just not a policy of free. Well put. Absolutely. Yes. Fill your cup so you can give. <laughs> yes. Yes. No more giving from an empty cup. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Fill your cup so you can give. It's actually much more fun that way. <laughs> totally agree. It feels so I much better. Totally agree. Yes. <laughs> yes. One hundred percent. So much better. Oh, oh my gosh! I'm oh. so grateful for you. I am so grateful for you. I am so grateful to the universe that it connected us, and that we get to share this with others. And you know, if this resonates with anyone who wants to reach out and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation to continue the conversation. I am so open to that and would be find eagerly you, awaiting it. So I am at SK Parker Ward on Instagram. Totally connect with me there. I'm Sarah Parker Ward, PhD on LinkedIn. I'm also very active in that space. Um, or you can email me at wardS3 at rpi.edu. Awesome. I'll put all of that in the in the show notes. Fabulous. Yeah, we'll put uh, the show notes and on the posts and everything. So, well, I'm gonna stop recording and 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 then say goodbye to you. But I I so appreciate like this collaboration here, and um and I promise you, there's a good handful of death workers, if not many more, who are gonna listen to this and feel really inspired. So it's like we're just giving a little a little jolt of health and like we're giving a vitamin boost to the movement in this conversation. Yes. So I so appreciate that. So thank you so so much, Sarah. Thank you, Narinder. 
Well, I don't know about you, but I found that to be a really inspiring conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Sarah Parker Ward. Your name's really fun to say, by the way. Thank you so much for that conversation, Sarah, and for giving us uh, some of your expertise and your calling to help this movement grow into a good and healthy place. I uh, really appreciate you, dear listener. If you found something inspiring in this podcast, um, please help it grow by subscribing, um, leaving a review, or even doing one better yet and sharing it with someone else that you know would be inspired by this podcast. It gives me so much hope for my work and for the death workers that I love so much and for the people out there who deserve better death and dying spaces. So thank you, listener. Bless you. Bless you. Bless us all. Bless your journey. Bye-bye for now.